you so much for joining us online this morning. Today, Pastor Brian is going to continue his sermon series on Climb That Mountain. And today, we're learning how to claim that mountain. And here's Pastor Brian with the service. You ready to climb some mountains today? Amen. Let's do this. So when I was eight years old, I got this as a present from my parents. This telescope right here. A Montgomery Ward special. Right? Montgomery Wards, right? Shout out. We remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. Right there in Oak Cliff. Wynwood Village. Right? Yeah. Went there. So, man, I thought it was like amazing back in the day. I take it out today and I look at it and I'm like, man, they have so much greater technology today. Hunter bought a telescope, I don't know, about five or six years ago. And it was like, you know, this big and this big and... He could see stuff I could never see, but this was my telescope back in 1971. It was at the height of uh, you know lunar travel for us. It was our nation. People were landing on the moon, and you know, young boy, you're kind of filled with visions of man. I want to see that. I want to see that more up close. You see it in pictures. You saw it in class. You saw it on TV. But there's something that just wanted you to see it for yourself. There's something that wanted to look at it through here and say. I am seeing craters on the moon. And I was able to. I'd use my little viewfinder right here. I knew just how to line it up with the moon and look through there, and I could see craters. There were certain days and phases of the moon it was easier, and I knew when those were. And I was bringing that reality a whole lot closer to me. What seemed so far away in that moment all of a sudden seemed a whole lot closer because I was seeing it. I was seeing the reality of it. It was as though I owned a piece of that moment because it was my experience. I was seeing it. And so, of course, I had to call my parents out. Come look, come look. I had to call my neighbors over. You got to see this. I can see craters on the moon. Anytime my cousins came over, my brother, my sister, anyone came over, I wanted to show them what I had seen in my telescope. Because what was so far away, what seemed so distant, what you could not see with your own bare eyes, I could see through this. Awesome, huh? You know, faith is like that. Faith allows us to see some things that are far off, seemingly impossible to get to, Faith brings them close. Faith puts them in a distance I can see. Faith takes what's out there and it makes it my experience. I don't have to lean on someone else's picture that they've seen. I see it for me. I own the moment. I see what's out there and it comes close. I open the scripture and I see what it says. Faith makes that personal. Faith takes it in. Faith sees it in spite of what everybody else says. My dad was one of those guys that uh, wasn't so sure that we actually went to the moon. You know, that that was somehow all staged. I get it. I'm sure that was from his generation that was hard to take in, that we were actually sending people to the moon if you're one of those folks, I hope I'm not offending you this morning, but we did go to the moon. And with the telescope, you can see a whole lot better of what they saw, the reality of it. This morning, we are continuing our series, Climb That Mountain. 
We've been looking at the power of faith to believe God, to go to some places that we might not normally go, to see some things that reveal the glory of God as he shows us himself, and we climb that mountain, we pursue him, and we believe what we see there. Amen? You see, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. What you can't see with your natural eyes, faith says, oh, I see it all right. I see the reality of it. My natural experience tells me I have failed in my life and I could never be forgiven and made new. And it's really up to me to kind of work things out on my own. Faith tells me a different story. Faith tells me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Faith tells me that Jesus came to die on the cross for my sin. And that there on the cross, he took sin into himself and died as payment for it. He was not defeated by it because he rose again on the third day victorious over it and said that if I put my faith in this grace that's been given to me, I am forgiven. I am free. I live victorious. That's putting my faith in something I cannot with my own natural eyes see. Amen? Amen. So this morning we're going to be challenged on multiple layers to look through our faithoscope. Hello? What we're going to see this morning in Scripture is going to challenge you. We're going to see some things that are not natural to our own eyes. In fact, when we see truth like that in Scripture, it's going to be challenging to you. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be big. But faith brings it close. Faith brings it into crystal clarity. Faith brings it to a place where you can own it. But you have to own it in that moment. You have to possess it. You have to choose in that moment. It can't be something your parents did for you. It can't be something you just rely on because you did it. You saw it when, it was, when you were six, nine, or 23, but today you own it as reality. Let's jump on in. Boy, we've got some stuff to cover today, and I cannot wait. Whew. Joshua chapter 14 is where we are today. Turn your Bible. We've been looking at some mountains in Scripture We've been uh, journeying from Genesis forward, and we're up to the book of Joshua today. Joshua chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Let me give you just a little bit of backstory. We're going to jump right in. God's people had been slaves in Egypt. God sent them a deliverer. Moses was that man. He went in. He led the people out, and they began a journey to a land, a parcel, a place, a physical location that God had given them. They had been slaves in Egypt, and God was taking them to a land that would flow with milk and honey, a place that would be theirs, a place of blessing, a place of delight. This would be their place, and they would have to follow God's lead all the way there to possess this land. You see, God had given Moses a vision of it through his faith scope. He had seen the land. God told him about it. And he was telling the people about it. And they were going to have to trust him. And so Moses prepares the people. They get ready to go into the land. There's, there's two million plus of them. 
just let that sink in for just a moment. Two million plus people come out of Egypt are on their way to a land that is theirs. God's promised land for them. And in preparation to go in, God, through Moses, chooses 12. 12 men who will go in as spies into the land. They had to go as spies because you see, some other people had taken up residence in their land. It was their land. But some other people had taken up residence there. Some people that didn't belong there. Some people who were enemies of the people of God. Some people who were giants. Some people who were cruel. Some people who were mean. Some people who were kind of frightening to look at. But they were in the promised land. So Moses sends the 12 ahead. Hey, you 12, I want you to go into the land, sneak in there, go covertly, undercover. I want you to go in and I want you to look at the land. I want you to come back. And when you come back, I want you to tell all of us what you see. We don't have a drone to send over, so you guys are the drones, all right? You're the drone team. You're going in. I want you to spy it out. Come back and tell us what you see. I'm sure Moses was thinking that these 12 would go with a sense of, this is God's land he's given us. We're going to go in. I'm sure Moses was thinking they're going to come back with a report that would put faith first. The 12 go in. The 12 spy it out. They see unbelievable things. They see fruit beyond compare. Grapes that must have been the size of beach balls. Food, lush land, but also giants. Mm. So the 12 come back, and there's a little bit of disagreement between the 12. Because 10 of the 12 say, look, we went in, we saw it, that place is crawling with giants. There is no way, no way we could go in and take that land. They, they own that place. It's theirs. They've, they've put down their houses. They've put down roots. They're all there. Them and their families have been there a long time. There's no way you're going to uproot them. That's what 10 came back and said. Two of the 12 came back and said, hey, God's given us this land. There's some giants there. We're going in and take them. The majority is not always right. In this case, 10 brought a negative report. Two brought a faith report. And it says that the nation, two million plus, believed the story of the 10 instead of the two. If you read it in scripture, in the book of Numbers, it says that the nation cried all night. A national day of mourning because these 10 did not look through their faithoscope. They looked through their selfoscope. They saw with their own eyes instead of through God's eyes. And they said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. That's a quote from scripture. They were consumed 
with fear. The two who saw through faith were named Joshua, who wrote this, and a man we're going to meet today in our story. His name was Caleb. So I'm going to say Caleb a lot today. Get it in your mind. I'm not talking about the guy that stands here and does this. He's also Caleb. But the Caleb I'm talking about from this point forward is in the story. Caleb. He's 40 years old when Moses chooses him to go into the land to be one of the spies. 40 years old. He's got some life behind him. He's got some experience under his belt. He's a, he's a man of faith. But where our story takes up today is 45 years later. 45 years have passed, and the people of God didn't believe the two. They believed the ten. Boy, you got to be careful about who you listen to. It'll take you in a bad direction. If you listen to people who are not giving you the truth, it'll make you wander aimlessly for decades. And that's what happened to this entire nation. They wandered in the desert, not getting the promised place that God had for them because they believed the fears and the lies over the truth from God. Are you with me so far? So our story picks up verse 7 today, Joshua 14. It says this, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Caleb was a man who believed the promises of God. He believed the promises more than the problems. He put faith over his fear. He believed God over what was happening here. He trusted God. And so it's fascinating to me that it says here, he says, I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. What's here? What's here will drive what you see out there. If faith is here, you'll see out there from God's perspective. If fear is here, you'll be terrified of that and you'll make an incredibly long line of wrong decisions and choices because you let fear instead of faith be your guide. Caleb is a man of faith. He's looking through the faithoscope. He says, I brought back word as it was in my heart. It's interesting that some 45 years have passed and he, re he remembers the story as though it were yesterday. I'm not sure I can remember 45 years ago. If any of us could remember the details of 45 years ago. But this man, Caleb, does. And God did something in that day. He did something that you and I need to learn if we're going to be faith walkers. If we're going to follow Christ truly with faith. You see, what God does is he'll give you a vision before you get to the place of reality. He was showing them their inheritance before they had possessed it. It's what God does. It's a pattern he does over and over again. He'll show you what's yours before you actually possess it. 
He'll show you something big before you have it. He'll show you something bigger than what you can imagine. This is how God works because this is what actually ignites faith within us. Vision always comes before reality. If you need to take a picture of this screen, if you need to write it down, do. I can't emphasize this point enough. Faith is how we follow our God. And he calls us to trust what he shows us. He'll show us a vision, and then he calls us to walk in that reality. Let me give you an example. He says that now that me, sinner, was prayed to receive Christ 1981 in the summer in my living room on the corner of Lariat Circle in Westmoreland, there that day I became a born-again believer. I was made new. Now, in that moment, there were some feelings that told me that. But there were some feelings later that seemed to kind of go against that. And what I did in that day was I trusted my faith over my feelings. Because faith don't care about your feelings. Let that sink in. I know some of you have heard something like that before. Faith don't care about your feelings. So what God began to teach me along the way is that he had made me new in Jesus Christ. He had actually washed away all my sins, seated me with him in heavenly places, and called me righteous. Now, I'll tell you what. There haven't been really hardly any days where I have felt righteous. But faith don't care about your feelings. Faith says, I trust what you say. He gives me a vision before it becomes a reality. He gave me a vision of me seated with him. He tells me it's the truth. He tells me I'm actually holy and blameless and without fault. Not because I've been a good little boy, but because Christ was perfect and I received him. He gave me a vision of that and I walk in that even though it don't feel like that all the time. Are you with me? Vision always comes before reality. He'll show you something before it becomes a possibility. He'll put it in your heart. He'll show it to you in his word. He'll give you some impression by his spirit in you, and it'll be a vision of something you think, whoa, that's, whew, that's crazy big. Sadly, what most people do is dismiss it because it seems too big, too far-fetched, too far away. They refused to believe what they were shown by faith. And they give in to the lies of the majority of their thoughts instead of the two who were speaking truth about their thoughts. God's word and God's spirit speaking within. Are you with me this morning so far? Vision always comes before reality. And vision is always bigger than the reality. Vision is bigger than what we think. Vision is bigger than what we would naturally do. Vision is... The vision is really... God makes it impossible. He'll show you something about your marriage. He'll show you something about your children. He'll show you something about your future. He'll show you something about your career. He'll show you something about you. And it'll be bigger than where you are right now. It'll be something that will seem almost unattainable by design. 
so that you will have to say, God, I don't see how in the world that could come to be, but I will trust you to bring it about. That's what he's looking for. Those who will see it and trust him for it. The 10 did not, two did. God's looking for those who will see and believe the vision before it becomes a reality. He will show it to you, in fact, while it still seems impossible. While you're in the midst. While you're in debt so high you can't imagine how you could ever get out of it and honor God with your finances. He'll give you a vision. And you're to walk with him there in the process. And in the end, when it's done, he'll get the glory and you'll be humbled by it. I'm living proof of that. Heather and I are. We bought the lie of the credit card when we first got married. I can't tell you how many we had and how many we thought, well, let's get another one to help pay off this one. Well, let's get another one. This one even has lower interest rate to pay off this one to pay off this one. It's just stuff that you do when you don't know. And we did. And then we knew. Bad idea. And we were up here and thought, how in the world? God gave us a vision for us being clear, clean from all that. How in the world? God gave us a plan. We walked in it free by his design and purposes. I can't even tell you how it happened because he brought it about. He'll do that in some areas in your life. Let's go on with the story here. Verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Caleb and Joshua brought back their story. And they said, you know, our ten brothers that were with us, our brethren, they came back with another story. They came back with news that discouraged everybody. They came back with, uh, there's no way, this is impossible, it's too much, they're too big, we're too small, we don't have enough resources, that's not going to happen, they're too entrenched, we can't do it. They came back with that story and it made the heart of the people melt. Man. Hmm. Those who communicate have a high and holy responsibility, whether you are here in a church or you're speaking to the culture. And what you speak will determine the hearts of the people. They came with lies. They came with fear. And they spoke, and it caused a nation to have a heart that melted instead of a heart that trusted God. They cried all night long, but what's fascinating to me is the last part. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Even though everybody else cratered, even though everybody else believed the stories, even though everybody else did not trust God and trust their faith scope, he said, I kept believing. I didn't give up. I didn't give in. 45 years and Caleb and Joshua hold to what they saw because God had showed it to them by faith. Verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses said, Look, 
you guys, my heart's broken too that the people aren't listening. But I promise you today, you will have your inheritance. God makes promises to those who will see by faith. He will answer. He will, he will reward you. You'll notice it didn't say that he made this promise to the ten who came back with their fear, who came back with their uncertainty, who came back with their doubt. The promise wasn't made to them. The promise was made to the two who chose to see by faith. Let's move on in the passage. Verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am, this day, 85 years old. They are finally about to go in. They're about to enter into all that God had given them. They had already begun the process. They were already seeing God slay the giants. They were already experiencing all of that. And here they are saying, this is it. This is what we have been waiting for. God always keeps his promises. And I'm sure Joshua and Caleb must have thought, man, I'm glad we didn't give up. Man, I'm glad we did not stop believing. We kept holding to the promise. We didn't give up. We didn't dismiss it as a Sunday-only thing. We didn't dismiss it as a religious thing. We took it in as truth, and we believe God in the midst of it. It's a great reminder for you and I to never doubt in the dark vision seen in the light. When God shows you something in his word, when he speaks to your heart and you know it's him, hold to that. Hold to it and do not let go. Let that be an anchor. Let it drive you deep. Let it be your rock. Let it be your foundation. Let it make you immovable and you hold to it regardless because the night is coming and the night will come and there you're going to be tempted to forget. The night will come and you're going to be tempted to give up. The night will come and you'll be tempted to wonder, but you hold on like Joshua and Caleb did and say, I am not going to doubt in the dark what I've seen in the light. And that's true for your salvation. It's true for his word. It's true for his promises. And if he's begun a good work in you, he'll complete it. He'll finish it. He'll work it. If he gave you a promise about that husband of yours, you hold to that promise. If he gave you a promise about that wife of yours, gentlemen, then you hold to that promise. You don't doubt in the dark. You don't drift off. You don't decide to go after another woman. You don't decide to treat this lightly. You stay faithful. You trust God. He will bring to pass what he's begun. Yes. Amen? Yes. Come on now. If he's given you a promise for your children coming to know him, whether they are three or whether they are 33, you hold to that promise and you trust him for it. Don't doubt in the dark what he showed you in the light. You believe. You say, oh, but you don't know what they're doing right now. They're, they've just gone off in a bad path. I know. It's nighttime for you, right? It's dark right now, right? You keep trusting God in the midst of the darkness. 
Don't doubt in the dark what he showed you in the light. Amen? Because faith don't care about your feelings. It's true. You, even, you might need to say that a few times to your feelings. Faith don't care about your feelings. You just back off with your sadness and your sorrow and your depression and your, your self-loathing and your insecurities and your, your sorrows. Faith don't care about that stuff. I'm trusting God, not my feelings. I'm afraid we live in a day where our feelings have risen up and taken precedent even over faith. And we've, we've let that happen. They've, they've gotten power because we've given it to them. We lean into our feelings instead of leaning into our God. We, we trust those feelings instead of trusting our God. That's what 10 did. 10 trusted their feelings about the promised land while two trusted faith and what God had said. Whoo, let's move on. We got more to do. Verse 11. Caleb says, as yet, in other words, today, 45 years later, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Caleb says, look here. When I was 40, I was strong. I was ready. I was ready to do battle. I was ready to conquer. I was ready to go in. I was ready to take those giants. I was ready to slay them. I was ready to take our land. He says, I'm 85 now, and I'm still strong. I don't know what he looked like, but I imagine he was buff. I imagine he was ripped. He might not have been physically, but if you could have seen in the spiritual realm, this dude was he was bulked up. He's like, come on, bring it, giants. I'm ready. I'm ready to take our land. I'm ready to trust my God. I'm ready to go in. I'm ready for some war. I'm ready to go in. I'm ready to come back out. I'm ready to go back in again. I'm ready to take this place. I'm ready. God has given me strength. When you believe God, he'll give you that strength. You lean into your feelings. Oh, I'm just so tired. I've been trusting God for so long. It's just hard. If that's what you sound like, you aren't going to be beating up anybody. Your shadow will take you down. (laughs) But when you believe God in spite of what you see, when you trust the promise instead of the problems in front of it, it'll make you all jacked up, ripped, ready to go. Let's do this thing. I'm ready to conquer. I trust my God. I'm trusted for my marriage. I'm trusted for my family. I'm trusted for my children. I'm trusted for my future. I'm trusted for my finances. I'm trusting for the kingdom's sake. I'm trusting to change this culture today. I trust him for it all. Amen? Come on now. You better be getting ramped up because we're not, we're not where we're going yet. We got some places to go this morning. And if you hadn't started your car yet in your heart, you're going to need to, because you're going to need to hit the accelerator here in just a moment. Mm. Verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain 
of which the Lord spoke in that day. He's 85. He's filled with vision. He's 85 and he's strong. He's 85 and he's still got the same tenacity he had back then. He's 85 and he's not thinking about the retirement wonder years. He's 85 and he's still pursuing God. He's 85 and he's still chasing after the promise. He's 85 and he still wants it for his nation. He's 85 and he still wants to go in. And he did not say to Moses on, I'm sorry, Joshua on that day, because Moses has died at this point in the story. He did not say to Joshua, can I please have my mountain? You remember, he was strong. So I imagine Caleb saying something like, you see that mountain right there? I've been trusting God for that mountain. I've been waiting 45 years for that mountain. There's been giants in the way. There's been obstacles. There's been detractors. There's been distractors. But that, you see that mountain right there? I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. Give it to me, Joshua. I want it. I imagine if you read the rest of the story, you'd, you'd find Joshua saying, well, hey, Caleb, you know there's still some giants in there. I don't care. I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to take them down. I'm going to take them out. I want that mountain. Amen? Amen. It's a pretty important spiritual truth. When you look through your faith scope, when God speaks to you, when you open his word and you see a promise that's made to you, don't sit there and look at it and say, I wonder what 14 theologians say about this verse. I wonder what five TV preachers say about this verse. I wonder what I can find on the internet about this verse. Oh Lord, you're done at that point. If you're worried about what everybody else is thinking, all their philosophies and all the different areas and what they've said about it, what this person says about it, you, you're done. You're, you're wandering in the desert now. When you see a promise from God and he speaks to you, your response is, yes, sir, I claim it. I want that mountain. I see it. I want it. You and I are called to own what we're shown. You got to own it. Don't dismiss it. Don't say, well, that's probably nice for that person sitting three rows down, three chairs down from me. That's nice for them. I'm just not there yet. Well, why aren't you there yet? You've got a faith the scope if you've trusted Jesus Christ. If you've looked in it and he's shown you something, then your call is to own what you're shown. That's how you walk with him. I told you he always shows a vision before it's a reality. You've got to own what you're shown or you're not going to see it come to pass. Here's Caleb 45 years later and he's getting to own what he's been shown because throughout the process he owned what he was shown. You won't ever get to own what you're shown if you don't own what you're shown. I see a rap song coming soon out of all that. You're going to have to own what you're shown. If, you're, if God speaks to you this morning and you think you're dismissing it, you're sitting back as a spectator and like, oh, that's pretty interesting stuff. Well, I'll have to think about that some. That's not owning. That's spectatoring. That's you sitting back with your remote, flipping the channel on the deal like, oh, that's pretty cool. Click. Yeah, that's nice. Click. Come on now. As God's people, 
Our role is to possess what we've been shown. You've been shown an inheritance. Own that when you're shown that. Now, I want to make some application today. As I started last week, I want to talk to us as a church this morning. We've, I'm sure at this point you might have made some personal application in your own heart. I hope you have. But what I want to do now is talk about us as a church. Because I want us to be a people. Stay with me here. I want us to be a people who own what we're shown. We're not spectators. We're in this game. We're not in the bleachers watching. We're on the field. God's called us. I want us to own it. And when we see the promise that he's shown us, I want us to be a people who would say, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Let's talk about that for just a moment. With the faith as a church that says, I want that mountain. I want that. Let me just talk to you about some promises that Jesus has given the church. All right? Because Jesus has given us some promises. He's given us some vision. He's shown us a mountain of who we are to be. And our call is not to dismiss it, deny it, be distracted from it. Our call is to say, I want that mountain. Even if it's bigger than what you can currently wrap your head around, you say, I want that mountain. Even if it's bigger than what you think you have the resources for, and I'm talking to us at this moment, even if that vision is bigger than what we can currently wrap our heads around, we say, I want that mountain. Yeah. Amen? Amen? If he's called us to something, we should own it because we've been shown it, and we say this, I, say it with me, I want that mountain. That's what we do. This is what we say. This is what we do. Let me tell you a few things that Jesus has promised us. If you're making notes... Write this down, Matthew 5, 14, 15. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the bushel, the basket, but instead on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You, us, we are called to be the light of the world. We are called to be a city set on a hill that gives light. We are not to be a light that hides. I'm afraid what's happened in our culture today is we've become the church with light that hides instead of the city that's set on a hill. You and I are called to own what we're shown. We're called to believe and trust him and want that mountain. Let me tell you some examples. We're called to be the voice that speaks out in our culture. Amen? Amen. We're called to be the ones who are directing the culture. That's what light does. Sometimes I'll come in this room late at night or early in the morning and it's dark in here and I get my phone out and it all of a sudden lights up the room when I turn my flashlight on. I can find my way because the light has been illuminated. Yeah. 
in the culture, you and I are called to be the lead. We're called to be the influencers. We're not called to be the tail. We're not called to be the ones who hide out. We're the ones to be like the city set on a hill. Everybody looks at it and says, that's where you go for hope. That's where you go for answers. That's where you go for life. That's who you and I are called to be. Amen? That's the promise made to us. That's our mountain. That's what we are called to be. So, we ought to have a message so compelling. Let me backtrack that. We have a message that's compelling. We have a message so compelling that we ought to be broadcasting it today. A message so great that some young girl that finds herself pregnant would never, ever choose abortion because she knows we're the ones who have life for her. We know, she knows, we have direction for her, amen? Yes, we ought to stand against it, but we ought to be pointing to such light and truth that no one would ever think about doing that because there's light and hope in Jesus Christ. That's what you and I are called to do. And I want that mountain. Amen? I want to be in that place. We ought to be the place where the roles of male and female are so distinct, so beautiful, so rich with God's presence that no one would ever be confused about their gender. No one would ever think they need to be a man with a man, a woman with a woman, or some kind of trans, mixed, dysphoria, any of that, that they would know the church has the answer. Amen? Come on now. We ought to be the place, the city on a hill, that is fixed with so much beauty in marriage, so much truth about what it means to live godly in Christ Jesus, so much wonder about the husband loving their wife like Christ loved the church and, and the wife loving her husband like the church loves Christ, so much beauty that no one would ever even consider divorce, but they would see the beauty of Christ in our marriages, a city set on a hill, not hidden. We ought to be the place where righteousness reigns, where it is so attractive, so compelling that immorality would just pale in comparison and be seen for the filthy rags that it is. Amen? We ought to be the place where racial differences disappear, where there's not this, yeah, come on now. Where we're not having to vie even for racial rights, but instead we honor the races. We acknowledge God's design in each of them and we see the beauty and the wonder of all of it. Amen? Amen. We ought to be the place where walking in the Spirit is so understood, so known, so compelling that any addiction would fall away in comparison and contrast to the beauty of walking in the Spirit of God. Amen? That ought to be what we are. We ought to be the place, the city on a hill, where peace reigns, where life in Christ settles the guilt, settles all the past conflicts, and is so rich and beautiful, the peace dwelling in us, that there's no addiction that could even compare. 
There's no substance that anybody would even chase after because they know the beauty of that peace with Christ surpasses any of that. We ought to be the city on a hill that's teaching the next generation about our true Christian past. Our true, our true Christian heritage as a nation. Our true Christian heritage in scripture. Who we are in Jesus Christ. We ought to be the people. We ought to be the ones having an influence. The city set on the hill that all see and say, I've got to get to that place because they alone know the ways of life. They know how to live in their families. They know how to live in their marriages. They know how to handle their finances. They know how to bring healing. They know how to help the brokenhearted. I've got to get to that city. That's the mountain Jesus talked about. And I'll tell you what, I want that mountain. Amen. We ought to be so compelling that that's the case. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, on this confession that Jesus alone is the Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus is actively building his church today and I wanna be a part of that. I wanna be in on that. I wanna see increase coming. If you haven't noticed, you can't build something without it growing. Building requires a foundation. Building requires walls. Building requires height. Building requires depth. Building causes increase. I wanna see increase. I wanna be the church that's impacting thousands. I wanna be the church that's having national impact international impact, worldwide impact, viral impact. You might say, isn't that selfish of you? Look, that's not my vision. That's Jesus' vision. Listen to it. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Hello, that's not me. That's not our elder team here. That's not us looking for cheap thrills or some kind of motivation that pleases our selfishness. We're trying to honor what Jesus has done. And so when when Jesus says he's going to build his church, I believe he's going to build that in the depths of who we are, but he's going to build it in the numbers of who we are as well. Amen. I want to see the people. Yeah, amen. God has put us strategically in a place that people are flooding to right now. It's partly because of the economy, it's partly because of schools, it's because of a lot of different things. But if they're coming here, I want them to hear the gospel here. I want to be the city on the hill for them here. I want us to be that. I'm not talking about just the church in general, I'm talking about vertical church. We need to be the ones to make that impact, amen? I want to see some families in our area who are struggling today come here and find the hope that they need. I want to find those single mothers who are struggling with where they're living right now and us be the answer for them. Those single dads, those caught in addiction, those caught in brokenhearted despair. You and I are called to be the city set on a hill and active with Jesus building his church, building it, growing it, increasing it. He didn't say, I will make my church comfortable. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'll make my church nice 
and easy for you. He didn't say that. He calls us, in fact, to be discomforted so that someone else can know the comfort of Christ. And so if you come in here one Sunday and you can't find a seat, give glory to God in that moment. Somebody else got your seat. That's a good thing. Amen? Celebrate that. Find joy in that. Be okay with being discomforted. Be okay with walking across the street and inviting your neighbor. Be okay with talking to someone at work about coming to church. Be okay with talking to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can be free. This was the mountain you and I were called to. This is what Jesus says he's doing. I don't want to be anything less. I want to be what he says. I want to be what he's doing. I want that mountain. Amen? Man. Yeah, Matthew 16, 18, that same verse. It started off with, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. But I get really excited about what happens next in the verse. I get real, real excited about what happens next. Because Jesus said next, when I'm building my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? When we are faithful proclaiming that word, when we are teaching that word, when we are the city on the hill, when we are the light of the world, when we're claiming that mountain, he says, when you're doing that, there won't be any foe that can stand against you. There'll be people who will speak against you. There'll be people who will try to distract you. I know you live in a culture today that makes you think the church has been silenced, the church has been shut off, we have no capability, we've lost our influence, we've lost our place, we can't make a difference, people aren't gonna hear us, they're trying to shut us down. Those are all of the lies of the 10 about the giants. I'm not gonna believe them. I wanna have a Caleb heart. I want to believe what Jesus said, what Jesus is doing. And I don't want to give in to the enemy. I don't want to be intimidated by him. I don't want to be shut down by him. I want to know that he will prevail even if the gates of hell storm against us. Amen. Amen. There's some giants in this land today. There's some giants of unbelief. There's some giants of immorality. They're the giants of death that are causing murder. They're causing innocent babies to be murdered. They're giants of anger and bitterness. They're giants of rebellion and stubbornness. They're giants of greed and lust and drunkenness and partying, but we have the message that can set captives free. We have the message that can help the blind see. We have the message that will heal the brokenhearted, and we have the message that will set at liberty those who are being bullied by the enemy himself. And this is our call. It's time to own what we've been shown. It's time to not doubt in the dark what we've now seen in the light. It's time to own what we've been shown. It's time to have a heart response to God that says, God, in my personal life and in my church, I want that mountain. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
can't be more forthright with you than I have been this morning. This is a new day for Vertical Church. God has done some great things here up to this point. We've entered into the land, but there's a mountain to come yet. A mountain bigger than we've been on before, with giants bigger than we've seen before. But we're not gonna cater to them. We're not gonna listen to them. We're not gonna be intimidated by them because we see the captives and we're coming to set them free. When the enemy comes and starts spouting his lies, we're not gonna believe them. We're not gonna listen to them. When they come, we're gonna crush them because we're gonna speak the truth. We're gonna remember who we are in Christ. We're gonna own it because we've seen it and we will not turn back. Stand with me this morning. If you've never prayed a prayer of passion and commitment to Christ, as great as you're going to this morning, I pray this is it. I pray this is that time when if you have walked in doubt, that ends. I pray that this morning, if you have walked in fear, that ends. I pray that if you have walked in intimidation and depression and sorrow and addiction, that that ends today because of who you are, because of who we are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we acknowledge that what we are today is not by our own doing. It's not because we've been good enough. In fact, we've been horrible. We were sinners. We were destined for hell. We were rebelling. We were doing our own thing. And at the right time, while we were enemies, you sent your son to come to show us life, to pay the price for our sin, to die on the cross as the perfect lamb, the full and final sacrifice. And then placed in the grave, one day passed, two days passed, three days passed, and then you rose victorious over the grave, over sin, over death, and you proved that you are the conqueror. You are our Lord. You are the one we follow today, and we will now walk in the strength of that. We will no longer fear the giants in the land. We have come to root them out, to destroy them. We've come to dispel their lies. We've come to buy back those who have been lost. We've come to redeem those who have been taken captive. We've come to spread the gospel, the good news. We've come to set the captives free. And God, you've shown us a place that we're not today. You've shown us something bigger than we have today. And God, we see that mountain. We see that city on a hill. And collectively, as your church here today, we say together, I want that mountain. <laughs> Father, we trust you. We believe you. We're here to crush some snakes. We're here to set the captives free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank y'all so much for joining us this morning at Vertical. Uh, it was such an awesome sermon. This whole series has just been amazing. Today I loved how he told us about the mountain and that we want to climb that mountain to follow the vision that God has given us and to have faith 
and to trust in Him um, with everything that we do and to have faith over our feelings. We, we revolve on our feelings so much today and we just have to have faith and trust that He's going to bring us through whatever it is and that He's going to show us how to climb that mountain.